Hunt. Able to clear up to the line, not out. Ayafalo keeps it alive. Lewis, a little dangle. He scores! Trevor Lewis! Kings are on the board! You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Kings. Trevor Lewis moving in for the Kings. Lewis in front to Clifford, point blank, stop, rebound, score! Clifford at the front of the net, and the game is tied at three. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen. Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Kings had a little break in the schedule, but we are here to fill some of that time for you. Looks like Trevor Lewis might be back in the lineup soon, so of course we had to talk to his biggest fan, Jack A. Wilson. Uh, Believe it or not, we made it through an entire episode without fighting about food, you guys. Uh, In fact, we even agree on something. I won't spoil it, but uh, later in this episode, a lot of agreeing going on. What a time we live in. (laughs) Never miss an episode by subscribing on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify Premium, Google Play, or any other podcasting service. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com slash podcast. Joining me now, senior producer from Fox Sports West, Jack A. Wilson. How are you doing today, Jack? I'm wonderful, Jesse. I am, um, you know, I'm I'm celebrating the return of Trevor Lewis. It's uh, that's really the most important thing going on in any of our lives, without question. <laughs> when the Kings completed the trade uh, for Dion Phaneuf and Nate Thompson, I assumed that it meant one of two things: that either Jeff Carter was about to return or Trevor Lewis was about to return. We know now that it was Jeff Carter, but now we're getting Trevor Lewis back as the. Uh, as the self-proclaimed president of the unofficial Trevor Lewis fan club, how excited are you to see uh, 22 back in the lineup? Well, f- first of all, you forgot option C in that scenario, which is that the Kings are going to win the 2018 Stanley Cup. That's option C, <laughs> what's, ha- what, what's happening here with that move. Um, but yeah, I mean, obviously, I think uh, I think Kings fan, every, I, look, I look at it this way, every team has that player that um, their fans... Uh, appreciate or value or however you want to put it uh, above maybe what outsiders uh, see or appreciate. And I think Trevor Lewis is that guy for most Kings fans. Um, So yeah, it's great. I I think he is the way he plays is closest to what this identity of the team is as a whole. Um, It's been fun to watch Alex Iafalo do his best top line Trevor impersonation. Um, And, uh, and, and Amadio, it's funny, a lot of the younger guys coming up right now, they kind of um, play closer to that style. Uh, Nick Shore, I think, was kind of in that mold as well. Um, just side note, like, little, I haven't been, talked to you since uh, you got traded a little, I guess, pour a little out for Nick Shore. I, I think um, what he was doing this season for the Kings was pretty, pretty awesome and um, probably undervalued. And uh, it's pretty cool that, you know, the Kings – help develop him into a player who a was that valuable to the team and as sad as I, we are to see him go um, was able to help bring such a useful return um, based on you know the way he developed within the organization yeah and you know we don't want to throw Gabrick under the bus too hard but obviously this was a trade where two teams needed to move contracts that they weren't thrilled with and you're right the value that Nick Shore uh, was developed into probably facilitated that trade. Yeah, yeah, I think so. And and you, yeah, like like you said, you know, Lewis and those other guys coming back allowed them to make that trade at the right time. 
Um, and then obviously Carter coming back frees up a lot of other things and allows him to move Gabbard. But like you said, it, it, two teams were trying to move contracts that they, they were hoping to move for what was what it looks like from the outside um, as far as like the main motivation here. But uh, from the Kings perspective, you know, you, you swap contracts more or less and, but you fill a, a pretty big hole that you've been trying to fill for a while. Um, so yeah, it's, uh, it's great. It's, uh, like I said, hard to see the guys who left leave, but, uh, it's pretty cool that, that the Kings were able to fill those needs with that move. And I've been <laughs> repeating time and time again, Kings fans need to brace themselves for that feeling because at this point, Come this summer, or or perhaps next summer, the way the salary cap is structured, unless the salary cap continues to go up the way that it's rumored to, um, there may have to be more more moves. Um, you mentioned no. That hold on, I, yep. I, I I I disagree because just like I tell my wife all the time that we need to make sure our dog lives outlives us both and lives forever. <laughs> I feel the same about uh, every remaining member of one of the King Stanley Cup teams. They're, it's the same way my dog's going to live forever. These guys, the guys who are left, are just never going to. They're going to play until they're 102, and they're never going to. Their their skill level will never deteriorate, and we will continue to watch Jeff Carter be one of the most amazing hockey players in the world for the rest of all of our natural lives. Well, you are certainly the uh, the first one I ever heard and the most passionate proponent of the notion that Jeff Carter should be among those uh, who have their <laughs> who have their jerseys retired when this run is all well, said hold and done. On. I will say that as I do say that, I, it's all this is all silly to begin with because talking about which guys' jerseys should be retired <laughs> while they're all still in the middle of their careers and <laughs> in the midst of their prime years. for many of them, right? That's what I'm saying. Many of them have much of their prime remaining. Yeah, it's more while maybe in my heart I do believe it more when I say that. The point more so is that I believe that as much as we all know how great. Jeff Carter is we as fans I believe still undervalue him I don't because I agree you know, 100% Kopitar, with that because Kopitar and Dowdy and Quick and Brown came up through this organization and Toffoli and Pearson and, and and Martinez and all those guys um, I think we we have a special connection to them rightly so but then with Jeff Carter I, I like I said I guess I'll put it this way is as much as we all love Jeff Carter somehow I think we all still undervalue him and what an amazing player we get to watch every night I totally agree let's compare a player in that uh, prime that you talked about to a, a player just beginning his NHL career and that's Trevor Lewis and Alex Iafalo because yeah. uh, <laughs> you mentioned um the the top line Trevor phenomenon uh, Trevor Lewis in 10 fewer games than Alex Iafalo this season um, on pace for a career season. They both have 24 points. Uh, yeah. Tre Trevor Lewis has more goals. Iafalo has been on a, on a little bit of a hot streak lately, but with Trevor Lewis back in the lineup and you talked about the identity of this team, it, it feels to me like with Iafalo on the top line, Pearson on the second line, presumably uh, Lewis and or Clifford on the third, and then Lewis and or Clifford also on the fourth, you now have one of those sort of identity pieces anchoring every line that the Kings have. And given how much shuffling of the bottom six there's been and now the new faces in the lineup, I think it's really important to have that identity somewhat cemented up and down the lineup. Yeah, well, first of all, let me just say I am 100% in favor of double shifting Trevor Lewis and Kyle Clifford all game, <laughs> every game. Uh, but I may be in the minority on that one. Uh, but yeah, I, I think consistency is going to go a long way here. I think if you look at one of the biggest issues 
if you look at what could have caused the inconsistency of the play of the Kings thus far, as far as having trouble scoring for long stretches and then looking great a couple nights later, um, I think it'd probably be easy to point to the inconsistency of the lineup itself um, as part of that. So yeah, it's A, the balance, and B, the consistency is probably the biggest part of having Carter and now Lewis back. And that's kind of the, we talked about this, I think, when Carter got hurt earlier this season, that's the, that's kind of the secret or, or the, the blessing in disguise or, or the silver lining or whatever you want to call it. Um, same thing, similar thing happened, I think, in, in 12 and 14, where, where certain guys were out for certain stretches and young guys had to play bigger roles than maybe you would have hoped they would have that early in their career. And it benefited them when the playoffs came around because there were guys that were able to be counted on. Whereas if they had been protected during the season more, they may not have been able to. It's funny. The team has one of the higher average ages in the league. And yet we see this season with the, uh, with the blossoming careers of Adrian Kempe and Mike Matteo, both uh, 2021, Alex Iafalos, 23, Paul Adu's 24. And even though we're used to him being around and, and, you know, we feel like he's, you know, a long time vet. Even Kyle Clifford is only, I think, twenty seven, and Pearson and Safoli are both twenty six. I think Clifford's twenty six. Twenty six, uh, yeah. even better than. Um, yeah, I think. And um, so, with and with uh, Velarde having been signed to his entry level deal, and and you know more draft you, picks coming, we're beginning to you see didn't a even lot mention more. Adrian Kempe you used to went through that whole list. No, no, I started those... with Kempe. Oh, okay. Well, I, st- I don't listen to you most of the time. So <laughs> that's that's fine. fine. No, I started with Kempe and Amadio because they've they have become. I mean, they're really the you know, the extreme end of this argument, but, but they have cemented roles for themselves. And I think Amadio, you know, next season, I wouldn't be surprised if he begins to grow into the role that maybe Nick Shore had been primed for originally. For sure. Amadio has been great. I mean, he's, he's awesome. And he, again, like the, the Kings are just really good at taking these guys like an Amadio. I follow Shore, Lewis and finding that thing that they're really good at. And, and, turning it into great value um you know they they seem to that seems to be they have one of the best development uh, departments in the league and that seems to kind of be their specialty right like is just depth centers and forwards who you, you you can plug them in pretty much wherever you need them and and they're they're going to be consistent you know what you're going to get from them on a nightly basis so um, yes amadio seems to be the next guy in line growing into that that mold and I would still argue as much value as they create out of these players. If you look throughout the league <laughs> at former Kings playing on other teams, I, I still would argue that there's no guy out there where Kings fans would be kicking themselves and saying, man, I really wish we could do that transaction over again. Or man, the Kings got fleeced on that trade. You know, there's a couple guys out there who yeah. claimed off of waivers because, they're just, you know, like Thomas Hickey, there just wasn't room. Yeah. You know, or, um, you know, a guy well, like Brady Brian, Shen. Brian he, yeah, right. Yeah. But, but, and that's, that's how these always go. We know that by now. Like the Shen trade for Mike Richards or whatever it is, it's, you know, you give them, uh, Wayne Simmons and Braden Shen or, or whatever the version is. Um, it, it you know, people, fans, and it's like why we say that we're more attached to Andre Kopitar than Jeff Carter, perhaps. Fans get attached to the guys they watch developing and they, you build up an expectation of watching it pay off and seeing them as um, 
as an NHLer, or you get attached to a guy that won a couple of cups for you and, you, and it breaks your heart to see him go. But in the end, I think when it all comes out in the wash, and for the most part, like you said, and I, I would say it's probably true for most teams, but the Kings have been pretty good at making trades and getting value lately or in the last few years, is that, you know, in, in the end, it all kind of, you got to give something to get something. So it all kind of comes out in the wash anyway. And to your point about their development staff, um, I had a chance to talk to Coach Stevens uh, at uh, Tippeking, and I just sort of, I didn't, I didn't even realize I was going to ask him a question. I just wanted to say, good job on turning Tanner Pearson into a, uh, a, a, a goalie screener, because it's something that I've just been obsessed with for the last few months. But he began talking to me about the process by which they introduced this element to his game and, and something that had never even occurred to me. And I've been watching this game for more than 20 years. Um, Bill Ranford, the goalie coach, coaches up the forwards about the tendencies of the other team's goalies and how best to, you know, to screen them and, to, and, and their tendencies. And it, it had just never even occurred to me to take coaching to that extra level. Um, yeah, you know, I just assumed the goalie coaches only spoke to the goalie, sort of like a pitching coach would only talk to a pitcher, or a, you know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, sure, why not, man? Every uh, the more brains you can pick, the better. And Bill Ranford's a pretty great hockey mind, so any situation where you can get his his outlook, I think, is is a great one. And it it just you know it speaks again. You know they've they're trying the uh, you know the offensive coordinator with um, Turgeon up in the stands and and. It, it's just really fun to watch uh, this development system continue to produce players and hopefully Trevor Lewis back in the lineup, he'll get right back to that career pace because I don't, I mean, we've made a joke about this all season long, but I don't think you can give him the unsung hero award if he's having his best season. <laughs> uh, well, it depends. Is he being recognized for having that great season? I mean, that's the whole point. I think he's, I mean, I, I, I guess he's, yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. If, I don't know if he is or not. Can I just ask what this last two minutes of this podcast have been? Because I don't. Like, from the John Stevens conversation on, I'm I'm kind of lost. What where, where, where we're going? Well, with. now I'm just trying to figure out whether or not Trevor Lewis should win the Trevor Lewis Award. But uh... or 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 you just wanted to let everybody know that you had a conversation with John Stevens that we oh they already know that wandering down this weird path that doesn't make any sense. I, I've already mentioned that plenty of times. Uh, but let's talk about the true unsung heroes of the LA Kings, and that is uh, the the Kings' best friends. And I'm talking, of course, about their dogs. Um, <laughs> we've got we've got Bark Madness coming up. Uh, I'm not going to reveal who I'm backing yet this year, Jack. But what what plans have you got for Bark Madness? Well, as always, uh, Kings Weekly loves to play along with uh, the Kings on Bark Madness. Uh, the Kings Weekly, the uh, the home of the inaugural Bark Madness. We we were hip to Bark Madness before it was cool. That's right. Um, so, but yeah, so this year, of course, we're, we'll be participating again uh, next week. Uh, I believe we're going to get rolling uh, with Bark Madness and Kings Weekly. We'll have a, uh, for the launch, we, we will have a, our question of the week uh, be Bark Madness themed. You'll hear from some of the Kings players who have the uh, top dogs, if you will, in the <laughs> contest, uh, make campaigning for their dogs. They're from Dustin Brown and, and, and uh, Andre Kopitar and Tanner Pearson uh, and Alec Martinez about and some other guys about why their dogs should win. Um, the week after that for round two, I don't want to spoil it or give it away yet, but let's just say we may have a feature uh, profiling, not just a new Kings player, but also his dog. So we'll leave it at that for now. 
And uh, so lots of fun stuff. Obviously, um, there'll be some uh, coverage through the pregame show and the intermissions of our game broadcast as well. Um, but yeah, it's it's it is a fun time of year. The playoff race is heating up and bark madness. What more could you want? Now, I'm not on the selection committee. Um, it's a it's a small committee, but you you sit on it. Uh, are, are there any uh, are there any new coming? Obviously, um, yeah, Arlo Dowd is is not going to be able to uh, defend his title. But any any newcomers, any under underdogs? No pun intended. <laughs> um, well, yeah, I, I think it's a shame that Arlo is uh, is not going to be around to defend his title. Uh, but you know, I, I think uh, that's just the way it goes. You know, that's life in the big leagues. But, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I, I think from um, the most recent grid I saw, there are going to be some good um, uh, selections from I would say off the grid. Uh, some, mm. uh, some, uh, some others that maybe are new entries. We'll just say it. we'll put it that way. So, uh, looking forward to uh, the Royal Half launching this uh, next week and, and everyone following along and voting. Um, I, 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 but I would like to go ahead and, uh, and throw all of my weight, as I always do, uh, between the, the Carter dogs. Uh, because, uh, you know, that, that I feel like it's a shame that none of the Carter dogs have won. Uh, the Carters who are so active and so involved in, in dog adoptions and Wags and Walks specifically. I think it's a shame, and I I was sure that a couple of years ago, Bo, their uh, handy capable dog, uh, would get the sympathy vote and tug at the heartstrings of Kings fans, but no, eliminated in the first round because Kings fans are cold and heartless. Uh, but yeah, so maybe this is the year for one of the Carter dogs to finally bring home the title. It's a little bit like Stanley Kubrick never winning uh, an Academy Award for Best Director. I right? really think that's a horrible <laughs> reference, and I will not participate in that comparison. Fair enough. Uh, what do we have uh, on Kings Weekly this week? We have, uh, I'm going to go ahead and say my favorite Kings Weekly of the year. Wow. Uh, it's a special episode this this week. We have a, um, we spent a few days with the Ice Baron Berlin team while they were in in uh, town to play the, an exhibition game with the rain. So they are at the German Hockey League, the Deutsche Hockey Liga uh, team owned by AEG. So the sister franchise of the Kings and Rain. They were here, spent a few days at Toyota Sports Center while the Kings were on the road practicing uh, using the Kings facilities. They got a chance to see to experience that up close, the gym, the locker room, all that stuff, uh, which was pretty awesome for those guys. There's a few former NHLers on the team, but for the most part, it's a lot of young German guys who hope one day to make the crossover to the NHL. So it's a nice little uh, uh, aspirational aspect to it for them. And then, of course, because these guys were escaping the brutal Berlin winter back home, uh, we had our, our digital reporter, Carlin Bave, take the whole team down to the beach for a bike ride from uh, Hermosa to Manhattan. Actually, the guys went all the way to Venice, wow. which uh, after a full two-hour practice, well, I thought oh, was well, riding from uh, the Hermosa Pier to Venice, if you've ever done that, it's quite a trek, uh, and they were, they were pretty dead afterwards. But it was an awesome time doing that. And then, of course, the main event, their exhibition game with the rain. So we got full access uh, behind the scenes to the whole trip. Like I said, we went and had some fun with the guys awesome personalities my favorite is a dude named florian uh who was one 
I, I mean, I, I think I told Pat Donahue when I was talking the other day, I said, you need to push the Kings to go get this guy just for the content we'll create for your guys <laughs> in the digital media department. Cause he is a, a, one of the funniest people I've met in sports. I just a legitimately good dude and hilarious. And we spent a lot of time with him throughout the show and also focused on the great hockey that the, uh, that Ice Baron, uh, which, by the way, if you didn't know this, Ice Baron translates to polar bear. So they are the Berlin polar bears. Uh, and they have one of the coolest logos in all of sports, the screaming polar bear head, which uh, shout out to Millen Colin, uh, you know, early 2000s pop punk band. Very similar logo, if you, if you, if you can picture that. Uh, that's for like two people listening to this podcast right now. <laughs> that many? Uh, but anyway, so we, we focused on the great, really great. They, they've won seven championships in the Deutsche Ice Hockey Liga. Awesome team. Some really good talent. Three of the guys from that team actually were members of the uh, German hockey team that upset Canada and almost beat the Olympic athletes of Russia. So high caliber team. They're the two seed going into their playoffs, which start in about a week here for them. So before the uh, Deutsche Ice Hockey League playoff start, get to know Ice Bear in Berlin a little better. And great fans and a great team song, as oh far as gosh. team theme songs go. We had, yes, yes. The, the, music, the songs they play, the chants are awesome. We have a whole section of the show up about the fans and how insanely rowdy they are. They stand and sing for the entire duration of the uh of the uh, of the game. The the president of Ice Baron we spoke to in, in the show. He explains that when AEG decided to buy the franchise, uh, in the process of that, as part of that process, uh, he, the president of Ice Baron says that Philip Vanschutz came over to a game and at least, and for part of the game, went and stood in the uh, cheering section and the supporters chanting and singing all game. And that was one of the things that caught, caught him the most was the intensity and the love of the fans have for this team. So that definitely comes through the, the high caliber of hockey that made that surprised me. I mean, I, I know these are all really good players and this is a good quality hockey. That's a tough league over there, but I was impressed by the, the caliber of hockey that we saw as well. So like I said, really cool access, really cool uh, way to learn about an, a fun team and uh, an exciting team and a, and a new brand of hockey really. Yeah. I wasn't able to go to the game between uh, the ice Baron and the rain. And I really regretted it. I mean, the clips I saw made it look like just an amazing time. Yeah, it's very cool. I it's um I'm excited for everyone to see this. Like I said, well, this is a uh, this is my favorite show of the year probably. And just a side note to this: in a few weeks, um, on the 29th, we'll have a similar show, another rain centric show, focusing on the rivalry with the goals. Oh. The, uh, the last time they had a home and home over the over the weekend a few weeks ago. We uh we went all access and embedded ourselves with the uh, the guys on the Ducks team over here at Fox Sports West embedded themselves with the goals and we took on the rain so we'll have a really cool show the night before the final game between the Kings and the Ducks uh, the re- final regular season game between those two teams uh, we will have a half hour special on the rivalry between the rain and the goals and yes we did talk to Curtis McDermott as part of this uh, special. <laughs> Excellent. I mean, last season the playoff, that first round playoff uh, series between the two of them, you know, it, it, ultimately sort of came down to goaltending. But what what was it? They they played like four times to close out the regular season, and then yeah. played each other in the first round. It was like seven straight games they played each other. It was like a it was insane. And of course, understandably, by the end of that stretch, I think 
both teams wanted to murder each other. Was yeah. so <laughs> yes, they did. If that rivalry wasn't already fiery enough, as you'll see in that show that's coming up at the end of this month. It's um, it, it, it's pretty awesome. It's 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 one of. I mean, I don't think I'm overstating to say that I don't. I'm not an AHL expert, but I can say as far as rivalries in hockey that I've seen on any level is one of the more intense ones for sure. No question. And uh, and McDermott, the perfect player to talk to about that, about <laughs> yes, that he's, rivalry. He's, well, and that's what we kind of spent part of that show focusing on that. The fact that now that these guys are so close to their AHL franchises, they go up and down a little more frequently. So this this rivalry you watch bleed back and forth with as certain players go back and forth between the AHL and NHL ranks. So it's pretty cool. Well, we're looking forward to that. Looking forward to this week. Before we let you go, Jack, uh, the Academy Awards were this past week, and you and I have sometimes very greatly differing opinions on movies, but sometimes very similar. Uh, what do you think of uh, of the Academy Awards? Um, I thought I thought it was pretty great. I I have not seen uh, Shape of Water. I have no desire to see Shape of Water. <laughs> I've seen a couple of Guillermo del Toro movies. I appreciate them for what they are. That is not my deal. Uh, I just, as far as, I've watched Dunkirk three times already. I think that is one, uh, up there with Saving Private Ryan, um, challenging for the greatest war film of all time. Um, I, I cannot recommend that one enough. I've seen Lady Bird twice because I went to go see it once with John Rosen on a King's Road trip. <laughs> and my wife, uh, my wife insisted on uh, watching it again, and I, I got sucked in. Um, and so let me say just about Lady Bird that, if you attended a Catholic school in the early 2000s, uh, a Catholic high school, this movie is your jam. They that the I can't explain how well they nailed that tone of that time, that era, like just after 9/11 era of like the weird feelings going on, and then being like the weird poor kid in Catholic school. It is so perfectly like on on like the tone is so perfect with that and and uh but but even if you weren't that person uh it's it's pretty amazing it's a well-written movie uh sleeper for me that was that was not an oscar movie i i maybe i've mentioned here before go see brigsby bear or actually rather at this point rent brigsby bear <laughs> uh the most entertaining movie of the year uh it uh was uh created by uh Kyle Mooney of Saturday Night Live and uh, one of the like sweetest comedies I've seen in a long time. Mark Hamill plays, uh, makes an appearance in that movie as well. So that's that. And then this gives me an excuse to bring up the fact that uh, this week is the 20th anniversary of the, le- the release of the greatest film of all time, The Big Lebowski. Uh, I know it's cliche at this point to, let, to love that film, but it doesn't change the fact that it's the perfect film. And I will make the argument that not only is it the perfect film, it is the greatest L.A. film ever made. Better, better than uh, well, well, let's see. How about this? What's what's your number one L.A. movie of all time, Jesse? Well, if you're I mean, that sort of assumes that that we're not including the Big Lebowski. So other than the Big Lebowski, I would say maybe L.A. story. OK, so but would you agree that the Big Lebowski then is the, the best L.A. film of all time? If it's not, it's one one A. I mean, okay. yeah, it's. Yes. Okay. I agree. I that that having lived in L.A. my whole life, it's I, I to me at least that feels like the most authentically L.A. movie. And and I wanted I want to double down on that um, notion. When I was when I was twenty four or something like that, it was summer of two thousand four. So I guess I was twenty six. Um, 
<clears throat> although that can't be possible. Anyway, <laughs> at some point in my life, I found myself working in Alaska in my early 20s. Oh, everyone knows this. Yeah, and uh, common, common, common experience. And, and I, I spent I spent a summer working, you know, the salmon industry in in Alaska, and I had been there for months. And and uh, for anybody who knows anything about uh, industries like that, the fish and game department has total control over your life. And so we were in a down stretch, and you know, you, you're trapped in the middle of nowhere in these small fishing towns with a bunch of people you don't know, and there's really nothing to do, but drink play pool and watch tv and this is again <laughs> the early 2000s so there's not a prolifer proliferation of channels or the internet or anything like that and there was one evening and i was feeling particularly miserable and and isolated and you know there's no cell there's no smartphones there's nothing like that and i'm sitting on this dirty old couch in this crummy common room with a bunch of you know guys i don't know drinking cheap beer and, and we're all maligned you know moaning about the fact that we can't go to work and on this crummy old TV, The Big Lebowski comes on. Yeah. And everybody watched it, of course. And I've never felt more homesick in my life than watching The Big Lebowski. And That's funny. Every scene of that movie was like, oh, yeah, I've been there. Oh, yeah, I've been there. Oh, yeah, I've been there. <laughs> I recognize That's... that. Oh, sure. Um, you know, even the scene where the dude goes to pick up Walter in a, in a parking lot of a, yes. of a, of a corner store. <laughs> And it's like on the corner of Santa Monica and um, I forget the cross street, but it's in, you know, it's near the Miracle Mile. And I was like, oh, yeah. my God, there's like a Del Taco right across the street. And I used to go there all the time. I was like, I knew I was like, even this, you know, even this 30 second parking lot scene. Well, I, um, I grew up I grew up in the South Bay and, and it's and I had went to private school there. So a lot of my friends lived up in Palos Verdes. So we on the weekends a lot, if we had nothing else to do, if I were up there, we would just go walk, hike around Sunken City. Right. So when they when they one of the best scenes, obviously, and, and surprisingly emotional scene, like it really does kind of get you because they do such a great job of making you attached to these absurd characters the scene where they dump Donnie's ashes at sunken city in San Pedro. And like, it's it, like, again, same experience where you see it and you're like, I spent so <laughs> much, so many random high school days there. And that's, and it's the perfect place for that scene. You know what I mean? Like yeah. that it's so just a little side note here is really cool. I, I met uh, a professor at USC who there's, there's a book called I'm a Lebowski and so are you. And it was written, it basically does background research on. So the way this movie was written, for those that don't know, is Joel and Ethan Cohen would go to these dinner parties with their artsy weirdo friends, film friends, and everyone would tell stories all night. And if you, when you read the book, there's a, a film professor from USC profiled in there. Who all who had his car stolen by a teenager, uh, and was the kid was caught because they found his homework crumpled up in between the seat. Uh, he always used to say uh, that jokingly when he would you know trip over something or something would happen to him, jokingly would say first Vietnam and now this, <laughs> uh, like many things like that. And so apparently, all these different weirdos that they would have at their dinner parties gave them these stories and they wove all these stories and they kind of created these characters and applied all these different life stories to the different characters they created in this universe. So I had the chance to meet that professor, the USC film professor. And it's, it was the, like, I, I didn't sign my book. Like it was the most, like biggest nerd moment of my life. Probably <laughs> this dude who was like vaguely associated with a film that I love. I had him sign my book, but 
it, it it's really really cool it's it's an amazing film like i said it's cliche at this point to love this movie this much which kind of bumps me out but it doesn't change the fact that it's the perfect film and just to tie it back to the uh, academy awards real quick uh the cinematographer roger deakins um on the big lebowski finally won an academy award this year oh um, yeah in his 14th attempt and and also um also the cinematographer one of my favorite movies though no i feel like nobody else has ever seen it which is the assassination of jesse james by the coward robert ford oh what do you mean no one's seen that was like a big oscar movie that year i i don't know i just feel like i whenever i bring it up i always get blank stares from people i i I love that movie and and while we're talking about him i'll mention that he was also the cinematographer for one of my other favorite con brothers movies barton fink yeah and i think he did uh, oh brother where art though too right I believe so. He did. He did. Um, I think all of them. Up, maybe Bo Brother might have been his last one, but that's about the time he he uh, he stopped working with them. But I will say, Barton Fink, a top five Coen Brothers movie of all time, which is the hardest to get onto, and B, uh, top like twenty Simpson gags of all the time uh, related to Barton Fink when uh, <laughs> the kids tell Bart yes. they're going to sneak into an R-rated movie. <laughs> And it turns out to be Barton Fink. Yeah. Um, and they're chanting Barton Fink. Barton yes. Fink. Yeah. So so there you go. So it has the honor, both of those honors, I would say. Well, happy 20th birthday, The Big Lebowski, and uh, happy soon to be returned to the lineup for Trevor Lewis. Everything's coming up, Jack, this week. It's a big week. It's a big week. <laughs> well, Jack, we'll, uh, we'll see you around Staples Center. And Kings fans, please do check out Kings Weekly this Thursday night following the Kings game. Uh, yeah. thanks, thanks as always for joining me, Jack. Thanks. And just remember, if you have any issues whatsoever with the rankings or the outcomes for any of the Bark Madness matchups, please take all complaints directly <laughs> to John Rosen. He he is actually the one picking out all the seeds this year and determining all outcomes. Any issues with Bark Madness, please send them directly via Twitter to John Rosen at LA Kings Insider. Oh, and as long as we're on the subject, uh, since you are on the selection committee, I get I get a, a handful of people every year asking me and so i'm just gonna have you back me up on this it's 100 percent above board right like we, the 100%. votes matter we don't rig them what kind of pathetic people <laughs> would create a fake dog contest and then rig it like that would be some sort of sick i would say looking at you the royal half no i'm just kidding I, I, it is 100 percent above board 100 yeah. percent and uh, uh, yeah, I I I I I put Jesse's integrity on it. Oh well, that's not you know. <laughs> I'm sure there's something more valuable than that. But anyway, thank you as always for joining me, Jack. Thanks. I'll uh, talk to you soon, John Rosen. Can't wait to see your uh, your Brock Madness bracket. And uh, thanks for listening, Kings fans. We'll talk to you soon.